Let's go to God in prayer as we uh, begin our time together. Our Father and our God, we are grateful to you. Uh, We are grateful for who you are. We are humbled at who you've called us to be as your people. We know there is a great expectation you have for those who call themselves Christian, who are covered by the blood of your Son, redeemed by a Savior, Jesus. I pray that the lives we live would reflect the calling that we've received by being heirs of your kingdom. We know that there is a different expectation for those who are covered by your Son because of how much we have been given. We have a great responsibility to to share your love with the world around us, to make known the grace that is offered on the cross of Calvary. We have good news to share, Father. I pray that we would be bold, that we would be courageous, and that we would be willing and able to follow where your Spirit leads us in this world, and we will proclaim the good news of your Son to a world that desperately needs to know Him. I pray that we will be motivated by the love that you have shown us to be a forgiving people, that we will be mindful that the things that we do in this life are but a vapor compared to the life that lasts eternal. And I thank you for the opportunity to spend it with you. We pray for these next moments, Father, as we open your word, that you would uh, be near us, that your spirit would be present, that we would be still for a moment. The obstacles that tend to stand in our way and prevent us from seeing the way you work and the way you transform, that they would be removed. Our eyes would be open, our mind would be still, and our heart would be soft. Pray that we would be open to you, available to you, to work within us. We thank you for Jesus, for the spirit of peace and the bond of unity we have in his blood. We ask these things in his name. Amen. We are uh, wrapping up our I Believe series this week. Um, I believe in eternal life uh, and the resurrection body. Uh, the, the, the end state, if you will, of, of what it means to be a Christian, the culminating event of the life of a Christian is that life everlasting, that the body will be resurrected from the dead and we will spend the rest of eternity with the Father. I believe in eternal life. Barna Research Group did a poll with uh, uh, mainline Protestants, Americans in general, and evangelicals, and they found that about 67% of Americans believe that heaven is a real place. Um. 45% of Americans believe that there is more than one way to get to heaven. I wasn't really surprised by those numbers. Um, What did surprise me a little bit was that mainline Protestants were polled, and only about 68% of mainline Protestants believe that heaven is a real place. 
55% of the Protestants that they polled believe that there's more than one way to get there. Evangelicals, which is churches of Christ, would fall kind of in an evangelical category of Christendom. 90% of evangelicals believe that heaven is a real place. Uh, I thought that was low, even at 90%. Uh, I would think 100% of those folks who claim to be Christian would believe that heaven is a real place. But even still amongst those, 19% of those people believe that there is more than one way to get to heaven. What that tells me is even amongst our own people, we've got some work to do. But amongst the world, we've got a lot of work to do. But the groundwork is laid because many people that you encounter believe that heaven is real. The question is, how do we get there? The gospel answers that question for us. I give that to you to think about one of two things. Many times what prevents us from being evangelistic is this thought or this idea that generally speaking the culture in which we live is hostile to the gospel. And I really don't believe that that is true. I believe that the people we encounter every day are much more open to discussing things of religion, especially when it comes to the gospel of Jesus, than we could even imagine. But Satan would have us believe this lie that the world is out to get us because we believe in God. But if almost three-quarters of the people that we encounter every day believe that heaven is real, Maybe we have a place to begin a conversation about what heaven really is. About what it means to live life eternally. When we go different places, um, Jody loves to walk through uh, cemeteries. And it's a really intriguing place to go around. Uh, Epitaphs that you read many times are... Uh, funny, many times they're humorous, often they're somber, um, they kind of look back at a life, you know, loving mo- mother, wife, sister, daughter, you know, they're thoughtful, but sometimes you come across comic, comic, comical, funny, we come across funny ones. Um, there was a, a, a journalist who's covered the Masters for 62 years. Um, he died this past March, um, and in an interview with him, he said on his tombstone, what he wanted to say was this, John Durr, in quotation marks. I knew this would happen. <laughs> right, we know death is coming, don't we? Father time waits for no one. And only one has been able to reign victorious over death. We know death is coming. But generally speaking, as as humans and as Americans, we fear death almost as much as we fear public speaking. Because there's this uncertainty about what is to come on the other side. At least we think there is this uncertainty about what is to come. But there is also perspective that comes, even with looking at death and the end of life and what is 
to come. And frequently what happens is that our, our perception of our end of life, of death and life after, is obscured by things that we have experienced in this life. I read a story about a, a man who was walking through a cemetery, and as he looked over at one tombstone, it said, Death is eternal. And he said, I thought, man, how morbid is that? How hopeless is that? But then as he moved a little bit, he realized that another tombstone was obscuring the end of the phrase. What it really said was, death is eternal life. And frequently what happens is our perception of the afterlife becomes obscured and what we do see is we do see that death is eternal and we forget that it's simply a beginning of eternity. It is a beginning of something that we can hope for, that we can long for, that we can seek if we are in Christ. That death is not something to be feared, but it is something to be welcomed Because it means we have gained our greatest glory in Christ Jesus. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's read verses 35 uh, through 57. Um, It is a lengthy reading, but there is so much here. It really wraps up our understanding of what it means to live in eternity in the resurrected body. Right? It's something that we don't think about very often. Is what does it mean when it says that we are going to be raised from the dead? Does it mean my physical body? We don't really know, but Paul gives us a little bit of a glimpse into what that's going to look like. He begins in verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Foolish one, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And and as for what you sow, you are not sowing the future body, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as He wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is the splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another for the stars, for one star differs from another star in splendor. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor and raised in glory, sown in weakness and raised in power, sown in a natural body but raised spiritual. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body, and so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. 
And brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality when this corrupt. When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work and knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, Paul is living with this mindset and he even speaks of it here. Paul doesn't believe that he's going to pass away before he sees this second coming. And I think there's something in that for us because, you know, life has just been something that we expect. The rising of the sun has been something that we have just come to anticipate and to expect it's going to come like the next breath. And so frequently we don't live life with the same kind of urgency of the gospel because we just know that tomorrow is coming and there will be another day. Here's what I see in this passage that Paul gives here in 1 Corinthians 15. And that is that because of Jesus' victory, we are assured that we will be raised from the dead. We are assured that we will be raised from the dead, and not only that, but that we will live with God forever. That there is something else beyond this life that we have to look forward to and and, and I don't know what it looks like for the, in, for the corruptible to become incorruptible. I don't know what it looks like for this human body to be clothed in the sp- spiritual resurrection body that is made perfect. Made clean and made whole. And restored to that very image that God had in mind. There are all kinds of questions that that leaves. There is no question about the fact that something exists beyond this life. That there is victory over death. And we have seen that in Jesus as he was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, never to experience death again. And Paul says, just in the same way, and the angels say, in the same way that you saw Jesus ascending, You will ascend as well. You will be transformed. You will be changed. At the end of the age, the dead will rise because Christ has defeated death. And we can have the full assurance that we will not only be raised from the dead, but there is something prepared for us. And, you know, Jesus says to his apostles in my father's house, there are many rooms and I am going to prepare a place for you. And don't you love that image? I, I can recall many times when I'm going home 
my, my mom will, will call frequently, especially when the kids were younger. I would get off work at 6 or 6.30. I'd get home about 7. We would pack up the car, and we would make the six-hour trip to Austin, and we would start about 8 o'clock at night. And the kids would go to sleep pretty quickly, and we would drive till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Mom didn't stay up till 3 o'clock. Mom didn't stay up till 2 o'clock. But she would call about 11, and she would say, hey, I just want you to know the front door is unlocked. I got a bed made for, for the kids, and... In the sewing room, the playroom has a couple of beds made up, and your room is ready to go. There, there is a place that's prepared, and, and what you know is all you got to do is get there. And it's not like going into a hotel where you got to go into a hotel and you got to check in with the front desk, and they got to take their sweet, easy time typing in your reservation number, which should give you them all the information that they need, but inevitably you got kids running all over the lobby, picking and pulling and finding the most breakable thing and most expensive thing in the lobby and trying to play catch with it while you're tired from a long trip trying to check in because they weren't ready for you. And you just hope the room is right and you just hope the room doesn't stink. You hope that it's cool and you hope there's another bed like they said there's supposed to be. No, at home, at home, everything's ready. That's what Jesus says. He goes, I'm going, and, I, and, and I've got to go ahead of you so I can prepare a place for you. And in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. But I'm going so when you get there, you can know that you are home. You are home with the Father. The, the, the resurrection body that, that we will receive is not a consolation for a life that is lost. And frequently when we come to the end of life and we look back and, and we, we think that oftentimes that what we have is this consolation prize. We can reflect on a life that was lost and wonder what might have been instead of dwelling on what will be. Because the resurrection body that we will receive is a, resurre- is a restoration of the life that was intended for us. Right? You look at the way Paul describes that resurrection body. It's like, look, you think that you see things of glory here? Just wait. Just wait till you see what is in store for you on the other side of this life. That there is one kind of glory for the sun. There is one kind of glory for the moon. There is a whole other kind of glory for the stars. And the resurrection body diminishes it all. That you think you know what glory is? Just wait until you see what God had intended for you to be. And your body is restored to the creation that was meant for it. To long to be with God. We not only get the bodies and the lives that we had, but we get all the things that we might have wished for, never received, the glorious, perfect, unimaginably rich life with the Father, with the Creator of the universe, and with the Savior that gave His life that we might live. Aaron, one of these days I'm going to give you songs to sing early enough that you can actually include them in our service. You know, we talked about the song Before the Throne of God Above. We talked that last I talked about that last week. And this week, we 
I'm going to mention a song, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. There's a phrase in, in that song where he says, When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. It will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful this my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And there is this anticipation to look on the face of the Savior. To look on the face of the Creator and say, I am home. I remember looking at Dustin for the first time. I didn't think a guy could feel the range of emotions from fear and dread and anxiety to love and hope. That's when you hold a child for the first time. Or look on the face of someone that you haven't seen in so long. To meet long lost relatives for the first time and begin to ask questions about where you've been and where you've gone. I also remember just a couple days later when I realized for the first time that I was going to have to take this baby home where there would be no nurses to call, say, oh, I don't know what to do. Can you take him for a minute? And it's all going to be up to me. And, and, of course, Heather had a little bit to do with raising those kids, of course. But it was all going to be up to us. Nobody on call. And I think of the people that I've met. I, I, I remember meeting my great-great-grandmother for the first time that I didn't even know existed. And I remember sitting there with five generations in the room as I held, took my son to meet her. It was Dustin, myself, my mom, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. I remember sitting there and listening to the stories that she had to tell about growing up, some things that I had never heard before. There are many aspects in, in my own life that I can imagine, but, but can you imagine what it's going to be like to walk up and to look at the face of God. To stand in His presence. And to be welcomed as a child. And for the Father to say, welcome home. That's what we have to look forward to. As Christians. And, and it should be something. Should be something that we are willing to give for. Right? And, and so frequently we live this life like it's all that there is. But this life in this world is not all there is. We're afraid to release anything. We're afraid to turn things over, even to turn them over to God. We're afraid to give up the comforts of this life, even if it means following Jesus. Right? And, and, and I wonder frequently what... I know what it is that holds us. It's because it's physical. It's because we can, we can touch it and we can hold it and we can experience it and the houses that we live in are so nice. But 
there, there are many times where in my life where I felt a call to go places. And you know what? It doesn't take very long for me to get out of those places and get home to realize, man, I like life at home. Life here is good. I know the gospel is needed in some other places, but you know, I've, I, like, I like my Jeep. I like being able to just put the top down and go for a ride for a little bit. I like being able to just run up to the grocery store if I need eggs and buy eggs. I like being able to travel at night and not have to worry about it. I like having the luxury of, of buying new things when I want to buy new things and taking trips when I want to take trips and, and going on excursions when we want to go on excursions. I've really not been asked to give up much. But the thing about, the thing about sacrifice is along with sacrifice comes investment. Right? And if you look at what, what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about you know, how we've invested in one thing, what you have sown, you are not going to reap. Because you're sowing things in the flesh and you're going to reap things in the Spirit. The fleshly body will be delivered in a way that God will see fit in the spiritual realm. But we are so wrapped up in the things of this world. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes if, if what my response would be if I approached Jesus and asked him the same question that the rich young man asked him in Matthew 5. Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And you remember Jesus goes through uh, the list of commands and, and the young man says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And he says, one thing you lack. Get rid of your stuff. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you can come and follow me. And Jesus said that to this man to illustrate what kind of hold the physical wealth that he had had on his life. That he was not willing to give it up for Jesus. He went away sad. And and the next words that Jesus says to his apostles, because the apostles come to him and said, how can a man be saved? And Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's not because wealth keeps you away from heaven. It's because it can be so easy for us to become dependent on the wealth and to become self-reliant, so much so that not only do we not know what it means to depend on God, but we are not willing to part with the things of this world, even if it means following Christ. He says, you were not made for this world. You were made for eternity. And when we are willing to sacrifice... We invest in what is to come. An investment. Investment allows that sacrifice to be worth it. Right? Because if you receive something, you have no 
investment in, then it really doesn't have a whole lot of value to you. Like I remember driving you know, my mom's car. When I was driving my mom's car, it's not that I didn't care about it. I wanted to keep it clean. I wanted to keep it nice. I wanted to, to keep it straight. <laughs> I didn't want to get in an accident. You know, but if it got a little dirty or if something spilled on the seats, it's like, eh, you know, not too bad. I didn't pay for it. It's not what I thought, but it's the mindset that we have. But then when I got a job and I started buying my own things and buying my own clothes and bought my own car, all of a sudden, you know, now it becomes important. And now I tell the kids, get your feet off my seats. I don't care how dirty you think they are. They're dirty because I got them dirty. They're not going to be dirty because you got them dirty. I remember trying to keep food out of the car the first time we got a new car with, with young ones. No food in the car. Try taking one trip and telling your kids no food in the car. All of a sudden, um, doesn't become quite so important because do I want my sanity or do I want clean seats? A friend of mine bought a brand new minivan and he covered the whole inside with plastic. <laughs> not for long, he didn't. Uh, but he did for a while, and he got to a point where he realized it's just not worth it. It's just things, right? But when we have an investment in something, we realize the value of it. And so much the same can be true for our life in Christ. Sacrifice isn't easy. It's hard. It's against our intuition. It's against our thought. It's against our very nature. It's against our makeup. But when we sacrifice for something, we create an investment. And in creating an investment, what we see is the value that it has. And I'm reminded of the apostles in John chapter 6. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, they go around the lake and all the crowds follow. And Jesus turns to them and says, you're just here for the free food. You're just here because you want to get fed again. Jesus says to the crowd, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the crowd turns around and leaves. And, and, and if that's crazy, this gets even crazier because then he turns to the apostles and he asks the apostles, what about you? Don't you want to go too? And I put myself in their shoes. And here's, here's what I'm picturing Peter saying. Um, yes, desperately I want to go. Because what you just said really kind of freaked me out. And I don't know what to do with this kind of talk that you're giving, but here's the thing, Jesus. I don't have anywhere to go. I left everything to follow you, and so I'm in. I don't know where you're taking me, and I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know where we're going, but you are all I have. You see, for these people that followed him, they gave up everything to follow Jesus. They didn't have a safety net. They didn't have a fallback plan. They didn't have a little nest egg that they could turn to if this Jesus thing didn't work out. They were all in for Jesus. They were invested. And so even when maybe they did want to turn around and go somewhere else, they realized they had nowhere else to turn. Jesus doesn't just want a part of you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want to be your plan A and he doesn't want to be your backup plan. He wants to be your only plan. 
There is no other alternative. But for those who are in Christ who have no other alternative, we wouldn't even want another alternative. When we realize what we have in Jesus and the hope that comes from life eternal with the Father. If you haven't taken hold of that hope, if you need to become a child of God this morning to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, maybe there's another way the church can be of assistance to you this morning. If so, you can make it known at this time as we stand.